Hello, and welcome to another episode of African Jeopardy. My name is Ife, and I'm recording from Creole. Today, we'll be talking about popular protests and unconstitutional change of government stroke coups in Africa. Hi, Ife. Hi, everyone. My name is Tehia, and I'm the co-host of African Jeopardy, and I'm very excited about the topic today. I'm recording live from rainy Vancouver in British Columbia. And we have an amazing person to discuss the topic with us today. Obviously, someone yes. that we've had before, and I would leave Dihia to introduce this amazing guest. Yes, uh, thank you very much, Ife. So our guest today that you probably already know is Dr. Mohamed Diata, who is currently a researcher at the Institute for Security Studies based in Addis Abeba in Ethiopia. He focuses on questions of peace and security, governance and development in Africa, and he holds a PhD in political sciences and international relations from Science Po in Paris, uh, the university where he was also a lecturer. I am very happy and if it uh, also uh, to have him back with us to talk about this important topic. So welcome, uh, Dr. Diata. Hello, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, so before we hand over to our expert, I'd like to briefly um, sort of define what we mean by um, coup, for example. So according to the lexical online dictionary, a coup is a sudden violent, although it's not always violent, an illegal seizure of power from a government. And in the African continent, just for the last three years, there has been three coups. One in 2017 in November in Zimbabwe, one last year in 2019 in April in Sudan, and of course the most recent one in Mali that occurred in August. And this is obviously an important topic because the African Union have a particular stance about coup, which sort of signals an attitude of non-interference, which has led people to think whether it is actually the job of the African Union to protect people from authoritarian regimes or to protect authoritarian regimes from their people. And on this note, I am going to leave the floor to Dr. Diata to sort of shed more light about this topic and why and how we should be reflecting about it. Okay, thank you very much, Ife, for, for this uh, introduction of the topic we are going to be uh, discussing today. Uh, obviously, this is based on the recent events uh, in Mali with the overthrow of um, now former President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita uh, by the military on 18 August. Um, and uh, prior to the military uh, uh, interfering to remove uh, President Keita, there had been uh, uh, weeks of sustained uh, protests in the country uh, over, uh, you know, poor governance, uh, uh, insecurity in the north and the center of the country, uh, but also uh, a dispute around the results of the legislative elections that took place between uh, uh, April and May of this year. 
So just a combination of, of factors, right, of uh, dissatisfaction that led to uh, the military stepping in uh, to remove President Keita. So uh, I think the one significant element in, in all of this is that uh, over the past uh, couple of years, as you, I mean, the past two years, as you've, you've uh, uh, outlined, is, is that uh, what we've seen as a pattern is, you know, um, leaders being removed by the military, but this often comes, uh, you know, following popular protests. So we've seen this uh, obviously in Sudan last year, but also in Algeria. Uh, Zimbabwe might be a little bit different because uh, it it was really an you know elite dispute over uh, succession. So over who was going to take uh, uh, you know the reins after Mugabe was to to retire. Uh, so the military stepped in and, you know, the, the, I, I think that the popular aspect of it or people taking to the streets, uh, you know, came uh, after the dispute between the uh, elites contending for power had already uh, been unfolding. So just to, to end with, you know, this introduction, it is really to say that the concern that we have today is the fact that we have seen an increase in popular protests um, over people being dissatisfied with the state of governance in uh, their respective countries, uh, which then leads to the military intervening, uh, you know, to, to seize power. And the concern there is that uh, it does not always lead to the changes that um, you know, the people uh, typically take, take the streets for in the first place. And the second thing, and you've touched on it, is uh, the response given by uh, African uh, regional organizations or regional bodies, uh, such as the African Union uh, or COAL, the Economic Community of West African States, when it comes to, to Mali, uh, you know, a kind of response that doesn't really uh, take into account the broader context uh, leading up to the coup, but also, you know, uh, uh, going forward, what are the necessary changes that need uh, to take place in order to ad address uh, the deep-seated uh, and, and deeply-rooted issues that precipitated, you know, uh, not only the protests, but also uh, the... Uh, the military uh, takeover. But let me stop here and then uh, I can come back to unpack a few of those uh, uh, things I've, I've mentioned in, in, in my introduction. I have a question, if I may. Um, so one of the, well, I'm, I'm originally from Algeria and the protest movement this time was called the Hirak, which means the movement. So one thing, one question that I had was rega with regards to how the African community has reacted to, to that, given 
the context of Algeria is that it's called the country of revolutions. It's not a new thing that a protest is happening. It has happened in the after independence in the 1980s. It has happened um, in the 1990s, then in the 2000s, and now in um, last year. And like now it's just reviving now after COVID. One question that I had was, given that it's not new, um, but given that the quality of the, the it's characteristic now, like the thing that mostly qualifies it as being peaceful protests, um, that is the new thing. Um, it has led to uh, the former president to resign, although people are still out, have still been out because they don't really believe that that was a real resignation. There's still like the uh, regime in place. It's basically the same regime that is, um, that is uh, leading the country right now. But I'm really interested to knowing how the African community and, um, and the African Union has reacted to that basically, and what is their stance with regard to this particular one? Where do they stand? Yes, that's, I mean, that, that, that's a, it's, it's a very good question. Uh, and um, uh, this is uh, basically part of, you know, the, the ongoing conversations uh, that should be taking place. It, it's, it's taking place in some circles, um, but I, I don't think that it's necessarily taking place uh, in the way that it should uh, in, in, in the spaces where uh, decisions, decision makers uh, sit, right? Mm -hmm. um, so basically what we have uh, in our hands today, and this is uh, what you're alluding to, is a, is a crisis of legitimacy. It's a crisis of legitimacy of of um, both the leaders uh, in, in the various countries, but also of a crisis of legitimacy of the institution, right? And this crisis of legitimacy is brought about by the fact that uh, people do not trust uh, the individuals that are uh, in power or seeking to, to take power. And mm -hmm. this mistrust is also uh, you know, in great part uh, directed towards the institutions uh, that we have in our in our in our respective uh, and different countries, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, having said that, I think that <clears throat> this uh, crisis of legitimacy also, unfortunately, does apply to uh, uh, regional uh, bodies. Uh, such as the African Union or, you know, your regional economic communities. And the reason why <clears throat> this mistrust is also directed towards those uh, regional bodies is uh, because of what uh, Dr. Ife was alluding to in her intro introduction, which is that there is a, a, a question around whether those regional bodies are there to, uh, you know, protect uh, African people and African citizens, or whether they are there to protect, um, you know, uh, African uh, uh, incumbents or presidents and you know autocrats and and what have you, or or even even in cases where those you know leaders are not necessarily autocrats, but um, I would say leaders that are uh, highly contested uh, in in their own countries because of the the poor governance. A record of, of their administration, right? So these are the challenges that you have. And I think that uh, 
<clears throat> one way to really uh, try to address those issues, those issues would be uh, to begin having a frank conversation about, um, you know, the, the uh, root causes of not only the popular protests, uh, but also uh, the reason why the, the military uh, takes over. Uh, and here, if you will allow me, I want to make a distinction uh, that I find really interesting in, uh, you know, two cases, in the case of Mali and the case of Sudan, right? So obviously, you know, the, the military intervening in both countries, uh, you know, came uh, on the heels of people taking to the streets, uh, you know, having sustained protests uh, for weeks. Um, but there's a very interesting discussion, uh, distinction, rather, that in the case of Sudan, it seems as though the military, uh, you know, intervened uh, really to preserve uh, its own corporatist uh, interests, right? And yes. we saw this, uh, you know, with how they, you know, even were repressing or suppressing the protests uh, before they eventually, I mean, after they, they, they removed uh, 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 al-Bashir from power. Uh, in the case of, of Mali, interestingly, the military uh, intervened um, in a different way. And one of the reasons why it did is because the military itself was dissatisfied with uh, the state of government, uh, sorry, of governance in Mali. They were themselves feeling that they had not been uh, 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 properly taken care of uh, by the government in terms of compensation, in terms of you know, having access to the equipment that they need as they have been fighting uh, violent extremism in the north and the center of the country. So essentially the governance, uh, the poor governance in Mali was affecting the military itself, which then led to the military, uh, I mean, uh, the, which then led the military to intervene. So this is a really uh, interesting distinction where, you know, you see that uh, the military can intervene for, for various reasons. It's not always for the same reason. Uh, sometimes it coincides with what people are, have been fighting for, like in the case of Mali. Sometimes it's for purely, you know, uh, for the interest of, of the corporation. So I think the conversation needs to be had, uh, you know, at, at, at the continental level. Uh, you know, the heads of states really, because at the end of the day, they are still the ones who are uh, ultimately, uh, you know, making the decisions when it comes to uh, what goes and what doesn't go. They have to have a frank discussion. Let me end with, with an, an example of, of having a frank discussion. So in the case of Mali, obviously, ECOWAS has been uh, heavily involved, including the heads of states who even went to Mali, and uh, they had several, you know, heads of state uh, meeting on 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 the on the this issue. Mm -hmm. And at at one of the meetings, uh, what what happened is that uh, this has been reported, right? That um, one of the president, uh, in this case, the president of um, 
Guinea-Bissau, um, you know, took the floor and was speaking. And, you know, he obviously uh, stated that he agrees that uh, all unconstitutional changes of government um, have to be uh, condemned, uh, strongly condemned. But he also believes that um, uh, uh, some leaders or presidents uh, uh, amending their constitutions to run for a third term should also be considered, uh, you know, I mean, those instances should also be considered unconstitutional changes of, of government and they should equally be condemned. And he was obviously alluding to uh, uh, Côte d'Ivoire and uh, Guinea, where the, the incumbents uh, have amended the constitution uh, you know, in order to run for a third term. So the point here being that when you are in a, uh, you know, context where um, institutions are being, you know, uh, 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 sort of uh, constantly uh, called into question uh, because, you know, of the, 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 the particular uh, political uh, 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 interest and ambitions of individuals, then uh, you run the risk of, you know, people taking to the street, but you also run the risk of, of military, uh, you know, of the military stepping in. On that note, I think I like the fact that you actually raised that issue. Uh, about the statement or comment made by the president of Guinea-Bissau because interestingly in the Gambia discussions about um, the new constitution was stalled yesterday because yeah. the current president wanted to sort of obviously the the, the previous um, constitution stipulated the two terms of presidency which obviously everybody was happy with however the drafters were trying to sort of put a retrogressive clause in the in the document that accounted president as the current president um, president Barrow's first term as part of mm -hmm. the two terms he could serve in in the office. If that makes mm -hmm. sense, and so sort of trying to make an amendment that is going to be in favor of directly or indirectly elongating the term of the second of the of the current president or of the Gambia. As a result, mm. it did not pass. Obviously the constitution was supposed to have been finalized yesterday, but it was stalled because of that. Because mm. not everyone mm. agreed with it. And so I found it interesting yeah. that you also made that comment because it means that they are already recognizing that, that, that obviously that something has to give. And it's also interesting that the person that had to raise this point is a new president. Obviously, we know what <laughs> happened and how he actually came to be because the former president of Guinea-Bissau actually contested the election result. Mm -hmm. So it's... Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, there, there are, there, I mean, it's, 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 um, uh, it's clear that um, uh, it's not for lack of understanding what uh, the issues are. I think uh, even at, uh, at the level of the African Union or the Peace and Security Council of the African Union, for instance, uh, 
uh, has had um, meetings, uh, particularly on popular protests, right? Uh, over the years, I think there was one in, even as far back as 2017, and uh, they have recognized, you know, the, 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 the reasons or, or the situations that lead to those popular protests and eventually to uh, uh, military takeovers. Uh, but um, it's one thing to recognize the issues and it's another thing to act on them. Uh, because at the end of the day, those uh, regional bodies, um, you know, there's very little they can do in, in, in terms of, of preventing things from escalating. Because member states always, uh, you know, um, use the, the, the excuse or, well, the, the fact actually that at the end of the day, they are sovereign countries. They are sovereign nations, and um, no one can really, you know, impose on them, you know, any kind of of of, of um, <clears throat> behavior or that they should follow a, any kind of, of particular route when it comes to governance. Um, if you will allow me, I want to touch on 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 two things with regards to that. Um, the number one is a, is a concrete example of uh, how Africans, African countries, African states uh, will not always abide by um, the international norms that they subscribe to, right? So in the case of Cote d'Ivoire, where uh, the president is currently running for, it, the, the incumbent is currently running for a third term, um, there have been two different rulings made by the um, African Court on Human and People's Rights regarding the uh, first ruling was regarding the um, uh, Electoral Commission. So the court was approached uh, because, uh, you know, there was a sense that the commission was impartial uh, and that, uh, sorry, the court was, um, the commission was partial and that, um, it needed to be reformed in order to be uh, independent and representative of the political uh, actors in the country. And that decision was, uh, I mean, the decision of the court was to say that it is actually the case and that the, the electoral commission in Cote d'Ivoire needs to be reformed. The government went ahead and, 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 and carried out, uh, you know, the reforms that they thought, uh, I mean, that they were asked to, 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 to make um, as it turns out, obviously, you know, uh, the opposition and civil society came back to say uh, the reforms that the, the government made are not uh, adequate enough. Uh, so as we speak, the Electoral Commission is still contested. Even the Constitutional um, uh, Court uh, is also contested. Um, but the second example is really around, you know, this other opposition uh, leader in Cote d'Ivoire who also petitioned the court uh, to say that his uh, fundamental rights uh, have been, uh, uh, you know, uh, tampered with and that he was seeking, uh, you know, um, uh, a kind of, of relief from the court. And the court ruled in favor of him, uh, except that Cote d'Ivoire responded by saying 
uh, that they are not obliged to, uh, you know, um, uh, execute the decision of the court. So it's not always easy, even when, uh, you know, um, the 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 instruments and mechanisms that the continent has established, even even when they 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 try and play their role, it's not always uh, the case that the uh, 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 states that are concerned or involved will abide by the rules uh, simply because there are no you know punitive uh, and you know enforcement mechanisms to make anyone uh, uh, do anything about it. Uh, <clears throat> the second thing I wanted to touch on, uh, I won't be too long on this one, is uh, that we, when we talk about unconstitutional changes of government, right? The the, the single the 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 focus on on that single uh, element by um, African regional bodies and, and institutions um, is, you know, in my view, because uh, fundamentally they tend to reduce democracy to elections. Uh, so if someone as you know uh, ascended to power after some kind of uh, electoral process uh, whether it's the, it's actually democratic or not uh, because many of the, the elections are flawed anyways but as long as that person has gone through that that process and and became you know uh, a president and you know uh, appoints a government etc um, it is. It seems that it's enough for um, African uh, regional bodies to say uh, if the person is removed, it's unconstitutional, it's intolerable, it's unacceptable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the problem with that is that it's it's a narrow uh, uh, conception of what uh, democracy should be about, uh, because not only those elections are not always um, you know, conducted in a way that it lands or gives legitimacy uh, to those in power, but also everything else around, uh, you know, governance, around inclusion, uh, around, you know, uh, a, a state and a government uh, fulfilling its uh, 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 duties uh, of providing services to people, providing security, providing safety, providing jobs, and not being on the other end, uh, corrupt, autocratic, uh, you know, <laughs> amending uh, constitutions at will, et cetera, et cetera. There seems to be a lot more silence on those fundamental issues that then eventually lead uh, to, you know, what we see in, in terms of uh, popular protests and uh, and and overthrowing uh, sitting uh, governments. Okay, so I mean, you've really raised very important points, points that is more or less directing us to then ask the question: What can be done differently? Because it is clear mm. that you know, for the part of the African Union, maintaining the stance of non-interference and hiding behind 
the AU constitution is not working because obviously mm -hmm. Sudan and Mali have showed us that people will still do what they have to do if that is mm -hmm. the only way to sort of get a change in government or maybe get the leaders to listen. So I guess the question, mm -hmm. again, I, I think bringing it back to knowing what 2020 is supposed to be for, for the African continent and for the African Union, which is supposedly the year that we finally silences the guns. The question mm -hmm. is what can be done differently to one, ensure mm -hmm. that people, African people do not have to feel that the only way to effect change is through coups, obviously relying on the military, but that mm. their voices can be heard. You know, because I, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm looking at what's happening in, in Cote d'Ivoire and thinking this election is it's going to be scary. I mean, as much as I know that I don't want to repeat, and I'm, I'm sure you all agree, we don't want to repeat of what happened with the, the violence that ensued following the, the, the previous election that was hotly contested. We don't want coups to then be the other of the day or people thinking that that is the only way, maybe going through popular protest is the only way to bring about change or maybe, I guess, attract the mercy of the militaries who can then do the coups for them. So what can be done differently? Okay, thank you for that uh, very difficult question. <laughs> uh, uh, but it it is it is a it is a serious question, and and I think um, we we all have to uh, really reflect on, on it. Uh, let me begin with uh, one thing you you insisted on uh, when you were asking your question, right? Uh, the fact that. There is a feeling among uh, uh, Africans in general that uh, only through coups uh, or only through popular protests uh, that eventually could lead to military takeovers uh, can change, actually, uh, you know, get a chance to happen. And I'm being very careful with my words. Uh, because a coup, a military takeover doesn't necessarily lead to change, as I said uh, earlier, but it is seen by many as an opportunity uh, to break the deadlock or the status quo and an opportunity for change to eventually uh, begin uh, to, to happen. So obviously then the, the answer would be, or or one of the ways to, to address this issue would be uh, to remove uh, the uh, you know, perception or, or, or real feeling actually among people that you know, they have to take to the streets. Uh, you know, the military has to intervene in order for, for, for change to uh, somehow be uh, on the horizon. Right. Um, so that's just a, a you know a, a, a general answer. But to be more specific, I think that uh, the work uh, really needs to to take place uh, at different levels. Uh, obviously, as you said, whether we want it or not, um, 
when the condition, the living conditions of the people are uh, dismal, they are going to protest. Uh, there's nothing that you know uh, we can do about that. About the fact that people are going to take to the street should they feel that this is uh, what needs to happen. Um, so the people who need to do something about it are national governments, right? Uh, they need to understand and to, uh, uh, you know, uh, really um, <clears throat> uh, be conscious about the fact that uh, this, they, they, uh, their survival in power will be more and more uh, threatened uh, if they do not provide uh, for the people. So it's no longer being in power for the sake of being in power, uh, because on this continent, uh, inequality has been growing. Uh, you know, I, I mean, with, with, with this pandemic, can you imagine uh, the economic devastation uh, that we've seen uh, and that is going to uh, last for uh, a while uh, with, you know, so many losing their jobs, their livelihoods, uh, Etc. And on the other hand, you have unresponsive uh, and unaccountable governments. You know, it's not sustainable. So there is going to to have to be a time where those who are in power, uh, you know, will have to realize uh, that they have to, uh, you know, do what is required of them, do what is right. Uh, and then finally, at the level of, of you know, uh, African bodies and African institutions, I think that there also needs to, to, to be, uh, like I said earlier, uh, you know, an, an open and honest conversation about uh, those issues, because the more we uh, pretend that nothing is happening, the more we, we, we are silent uh, and not outright condemning those things that we know are going to lead to disaster. You know, the situation in Côte d'Ivoire or in Guinea, the more we let, we, we, we let those, uh, those, those, those situations fester um, in the name of, I don't know which, you know, kind of, 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 of omerta or solidarity or, or, or what have you, uh, the more we are going to be, you know, in, in a situation where uh, we are likely to see, uh, you know, different uh, uh, conflicts and instability uh, spread across the continent. And I, I for one, I'm, I'm genuinely worried because the trend has been an increase in, in popular protests on the continent, which we are likely to see more of. I will tell you that uh, actually we, we saw less protests uh, now under this uh, this pandemic because of the restriction of movement imposed upon people, right? So what is it going? Uh, what is going to happen once once the pandemic is behind us uh, with the economic uh, uh, devastation that that we we are seeing? So I'm genuinely worried, and I think that we we all have to uh, you know uh, be active uh, actors in trying to to affect the change that needs to happen. The people, the governments, and the regional uh, bodies all have to play a role in this. 
So I, I have a few, like, I really like what you said. Um, it's really something that brings to attention a lot of things. Um, for instance, um, you mentioned one thing that the governments had to react. Um, and I was just wondering, like, and, and having to do the right thing. And, and I was just wondering, what if the right thing, and this is a question that may not have an immediate answer to it, but what if the right thing and the very thing that the people are protesting about mm -hmm. is for the government to cede power uh, and that the people are protesting because they are questioning the legitimacy of, for example, elections or the legitimacy of the government in place. So basically, you know, um, mm -hmm. they're not necessarily expecting that government to do anything but to leave and let a fair democratic process take place with regards to electing a government that they want. What if that is the thing that their people are, are protesting about? We're not necessarily expecting the governments to do something other than that. And whatever they would do, and I'm talking about the case of Sudan and Algeria, whatever mm -hmm. the, those governments are going to do isn't going to shine a light with regards to the people because that is not what they want. What they're expecting is not a promise of fairness or a promise of of um, you know, government action, but a promise that the government is going to leave and that government mm -hmm. is not gonna be responsible. In the case of Algeria, people has, uh, have asked for an independent commission to organize elections. They did not want the government to organize those elections even, like just the level at which they were fed mm -hmm. up with the government's actions basically. Which leads mm -hmm. me to another point um, with, with regards to raising concerns about increasing number of protests. Um, I feel like it might be controversial as well here, um, especially in the African context, but I feel that increasing protests, and I will put two quotes there with regards to peaceful protests, are a good sign to me because it means that the people are ready for peaceful action and are aware mm -hmm. of what is going on and are interested about what is going on and not just, you know, um, fed up and sitting there waiting for a change. I think that it's very important to address that in a very advocative way because it's, I don't see it as a concern to me. I know that there are a lot of concerns with regards to national security, for example, but it's almost a need as what we're seeing right now in the United States, for example, which is supposed to be um, supposed to be, and I'm saying that very cautiously for our audience, <laughs> which is supposed to be democratic, you know, peaceful, country, we don't necessarily hear a lot about protests, but what we see about racism and the Black Lives Matter movement, and also people that are just fed up with the current legislations and, and, and the presidency and the ruling, etc., is not necessarily a bad thing, you know, like when it's disturbing um, the current political context, I, do, I don't, and I'm coming from, again, a country of revolutions, I've seen a lot of revolutions taking place, like protests taking place in Algeria, participated to a few of them, and I always saw that as a point where democracy always struggle and democracy takes various forms but the struggle of democracy to come out and say hey this is we're a minority we, we have the right to protest and we're peacefully protesting because we want this is it ne it's not necessarily a bad thing it's actually a good thing if at all what is concerning is the fact that the government and i agree with you on that is that the fact that there is um increasing discontent about the actual current governments or the way that they're leading their countries Yes, uh, <clears throat> thank you for, for the two uh, very, very insightful uh, questions, actually comments, and, and uh, you, made, you, you made your own points there. Uh, let me begin by the end. So I, I definitely agree with you. Um, 
that, uh, and, and it's not a controversial point at all to me that peaceful protests uh, are a good sign, right? Uh, because protest, uh, the freedom to, to, to protest, um, you know, is, is part of, 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 um, of a democratic society, right? Uh, people being able to air their grievances uh, in, in a peaceful manner uh, yes. when the government is not, you know, uh, fulfilling its, its duties. So <clears throat> I do agree with you that it's, it's actually a good sign. Um, it's a good thing because it, it, it signals in, in many ways uh, uh, growing political consciousness uh, but also it could just mean that, you know, as you said, people have had enough of, of their living conditions, right? So yes. here, here I agree with your point and I agree that um, um, uh, what is really concerning is uh, rather the responses that we've seen, uh, you know, uh, to those protests. Uh, I, I think that there is uh, there is a way to to try and prevent. I mean, there needs to be uh, action uh, to try and prevent the protests. Um, there is also a need for action uh, in order to uh, get you know the governments to be uh, more responsive. You know, the reason I'm saying this is uh, and the concern that I really have. Mm -hmm. is with the response and is with the fact that um, <clears throat> the protests that we've seen and even the military takeovers uh, that ensued as a result of those protests uh, did not necessarily, uh, you know, yield the changes that, uh, you know, people were fighting for in the first place. Indeed. And, 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 and you know, as I say this, I'm also conscious of the fact that, uh, you know, political processes and, and change uh, takes time, right? It's not going to change over uh, a couple of months or even over a year or two, et cetera. It takes time. But the indications that we have at the moment uh, from what we've seen, uh, you know, in Zimbabwe, for instance, not a protest, but, you know, people aspiring for change and, you know, a kind of uh, new government coming into power, but actually same regime still in power. Yes. Uh, the same concerns uh, we have about Sudan, uh, the political process transition, the transition is ongoing. You know, it's, it's difficult to say that it's moving in the right direction. Uh, you've 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 said it yourself about about uh, Algeria. The same concerns about uh, the the the, the uh, what's the word the regime uh, yeah. and sort of the uh, uh, the legacy and the people uh, that you know were part of the regime still being around, still you know doing things. So <clears throat> that's why my concern really is. Uh, it's not so much uh, about the fact that. Uh, you know, protests are, are taking place. It's, it's really a question of where is it leading us? And, you know, uh, there has to be a way, um, you know, for, for us to avoid having a kind of deflagration all across the continent where uh, 
it's only that, only instability, only, you know, uh, chaos. Um, so yes, that, that's for your, your second point, which uh, I definitely agree with. Your first question um, was, you know, what to do in, in those instances where uh, the, the right thing <laughs> or the thing that people are asking for is for the governments or, or those in power to step down. Um, well, I wouldn't uh, pretend that I have the answer. <laughs> I, I think that what should happen really is uh, for those in power to make sure that things do not, go, do not get to that point, right? Because there are always earlier signs. Uh, even in the case of you know, Algeria or the case of Sudan, which we've spoken about at length, or the case of Mali, which is the more recent one, right? Uh, people don't directly go and ask for, and, and I like to make the, this distinction, uh, people typically begin by asking for a change in governance, right? When they don't get that, they don't get, you know, the, 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 the response uh, that they, they, they think they should be getting, then they go and, and, and ask for a change in government. Right, so so uh, I think it's it's the responsibility, obviously, of those in power if they want to stay in power, uh, you know, to make sure that a, a a demand for change in governance does not turn into a demand for change uh, of of government, right, of a government, uh, and ultimately, as we've seen, uh, you know, the military stepping in. Uh, to, to actually break the deadlock. Um, so that, 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 that's what I, I would say about, about that. Uh, I, I do think that, uh, you know, uh, people wherever they are on this continent are gonna continue to mobilize, uh, you know, in the midst of, you know, growing inequality, corruption, and, and, and the like uh, that we've seen, uh, you know, lead to, to to those situations we've, we've observed. Okay, um, well, thank you so much for the really interesting and impressive insight. Like always, you always kind of leave us wanting more and, and that is really intriguing. And I hope that our, our, our listeners feel that way. Um, before we leave, I'd like to sort of get like a closing word from, from you and of course from, from the here. What message, like, I see you're speaking to the African people right now and the leaders of the government where we are worried about something happening. I don't want to name the countries, but what <laughs> message do you, do you have for the African people and for those governments? Final words. Yes, thank you very much. It's, it's always a, a challenge to, to, to close on, on such a, an import, important and, and, and you know, complex uh, topic. <clears throat> but if I were to, to, to um, leave a message uh, for, for people, for the listeners, um, <clears throat> for Africans in particular, and <clears throat> even non-Africans, I would say that we all love this continent mm -hmm. as Africans. As Africans and non-Africans, we all have a stake in uh, a peaceful and you know prosperous Africa, because 
uh, at the end of it all, we live in a globalized world, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and we can contest the definition of globalization, what it entails, et cetera, et cetera. But in, in a nutshell, we are all in this together. Uh, and as African uh, people, we need to keep, you know, uh, fighting for what is right. Uh, what is right is, you know, building, in terms of governance, building strong institutions, uh, stop relying on strong individuals mm -hmm. uh, for that matter, strong men, because that's that's the reality of it. Yeah. Uh, building strong institutions uh, that are, you know, there to really serve uh, the interest of the collective, uh, as opposed to the interest of, you know, the individuals or the the the, the few. Uh, and that is my message for African people, the, the you know, uh, <clears throat> people on the street. For African uh, uh, leaders, those who are in power, obviously, just to understand and realize that uh, this situation, this path that we are, we, we are on, have been on, is not sustainable. It's not sustainable for them as individuals or as people who, who, who are in power, who like to remain in power, who, who like to, to wield power, this status quo is not sustainable. You need to be able to create more inclusive, open, uh, you know, and just uh, uh, societies. You need to stop hanging onto power for the sake of power, because power for the sake of power does not lead to anything. Uh, and finally, for, you know, African regional bodies, I think that uh, uh, there needs to be at the level of those different, you know, secretaries and commissions and what have you, uh, you know, thinking around how we can, uh, how they can uh, uh, innovatively uh, address some of the challenges that we've seen on the continent in spite of the constraints uh, that they have. Uh, 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 given the fact that at the end of the day, it's member states that, that dictate uh, what ultimately comes out of those regional bodies. So I hope uh, that's brief enough uh, <laughs> as, as, as my uh, closing words. Uh, and thank you very much, guys, for, <clears throat> for having me once again. Uh, and and uh, I hope that we can do this again. Thank you here. Thank you very much for, and I really hope to have you again, but as Ife mentioned, it's, um, it always leaves us, you know, as a taste of like, we want more. Yeah. Uh, there is so much to discuss there. This is a really interesting topic, especially now today. Um, and what's going to come next after this whole COVID crisis finishes. And as you mentioned, the economic issues that might arise after this. Thank you so much um, for, um, for being with us today. Yeah, thank you. I want to re-echo what um, Dihia said, and thank you for being here, and also thank you for extending an opportunity for us to invite you in, in the future. And to our listeners, thank you, like always, for listening and, and for engaging with us. And we look forward to, to, I guess, hearing from you and discussing interesting issues relating to the African continent with you in the future. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay, thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.